Welcome to Soaring the Sky, Glider Pilots Podcast. Hi, my name is Chuck. This is episode 10. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We greatly appreciate you. And joining us today from Zephyr Hills, Florida, a gentleman that not only loves being in the cockpit and flying the airplanes, but also enjoys jumping out of them. That's right, Mike Pillert. He is a skydiver, a tow pilot, and a glider pilot. How you doing tonight, Mike? Hey, I'm doing fine tonight. Uh, nice to talk to you, Chuck. Yeah, Mike, thanks for coming on here and sharing your story. So where did your journey in aviation get started? When, when did that happen? Well, my dad was a uh, B-17 pilot in <laughs> World War II, and uh, he just quit flying after the war. He didn't talk about it too much, but it, it come, was kind of interested me, and I was always interested in airplanes. So there I was in college in uh, Greeley, Colorado, and 1969 could have been my junior year and they offered a skydiving course uh <laughs> sport parachuting for uh about 20 bucks uh, for the whole thing of course back in those days it was military surplus shoots anyway i went out and made one jump and i didn't know what the hell had scared the hell out of me so much i didn't know what the hell was going on i made another one and then another one and another one and now it's been about 48 years later chuck and i'm uh, i've been skydiving all these years i'm a holder of several world records and um still active in sport parachuting and um through sport parachuting i discovered you know people flying these nice light planes and having fun and i i became a pilot and um it took off from there Tell me a little bit about sport parachuting. I'm not familiar with that. Well, the term sport parachuting refers to um, people who do it for sports. We don't, we're not in the military jumping into a war. Our planes aren't on fire. <laughs> um, pretty big sport all over the country. Um, what a lot of people do is uh, many different disciplines. Most people are just into the free fall thing and forming free fall formation before opening the parachute. We're typically um, at our club, which is right next to our glider club. We have a skydive, big skydive operation in Zephyr Hills, Florida. And uh, our planes go to 13,500 feet, giving us um, over uh, 60 seconds of free fall. And in that time, we're able to make... Um, numerous uh, free fall formations together with our little group that we have together now have you jumped in different parts or mostly in florida oh uh, well me doing these record attempts and things i've jumped all over the country and overseas as well and in the 48 or more years i've been in the sport i've been everywhere but uh zephyr hills has a great um local it's an international type uh, skydiving operation and uh, we attract people all over the world and of course we have a core of local people from the Tampa Bay area um, that are up there every weekend and these are the people I'm typically jumping with is my, is my core group of friends and uh, we know how to jump together and make the nice formations and then have was just a lot of fun together to do the records is that records as far as altitude or what's a record jump Oh, these are number of people in a formation, like over a hundred, uh, most of the records. <laughs> um, Amazing. And then it's making um, multiple formations, kind of like a sky dance, uh, sequential formations of of more than one thing in one jump. You'll, you'll form a hundred and some odd people together and then be able to 
reform it into something else within the time allotted. Of course, for those who are going higher than our typical 13,500, we're going to maybe 18 or 19,000 feet to give us extra working time due to the fact that we're not just dealing with 16 or 18 people jumping out of it to have one twin otter. We're, we're jumping with maybe as many as 140 or more people jumping out of de Havilland Twin Otters and Shorts Brothers Sky Vans and seven or eight of them flying in a big V formation and at, at an outrageous altitude. <laughs> Everyone, even, I mean, we do from two-man formations to three to four, uh, typically out of our Twin Otters in Zephyr Hills, we're jumping with eight. 10, 12, 18, 22 people, and every one of them is choreographed on the ground and walked through several times so that everyone knows their position and what they have to do. So the changes in the parachutes themselves since back when you started jumping must be huge compared to what they are today. Incredible. In the 48 years I've been with it, we, we jumped with military surplus round parachutes that we actually modified ourselves to be steerable and then we went through they developed into oh, semi-elliptical type parachutes and semi-round and um, now we have basically they're sort of square parachutes uh, i'm sure most of most of your viewers have uh, seen this type of thing on television it looks like a flying um, air mattress and uh, very maneuverable and um, they're constantly upgrading the design and for safety and reliability and it's amazing what's happened in in the years i've been in this sport and is there sort of i guess as a glider pilot i'm thinking glide ratio is there i guess a certain amount of glide ratio for you too right oh there certainly is i mean you know our gliders you know the good ones are 40 and 50 to 1 but uh uh, the typical sport parachute is maybe three or four to one. Higher performance, maybe a little bit more, but that's about it. It's, but they are little gliders. So what brought you to the sport of soaring? How exactly did you get into gliders? Yeah, as I was saying before, I got into this sport parachuting in college and then uh, discovered that these little light planes that we were jumping out of were kind of a lot of fun and people uh the people flying them were fun and enjoying it and uh, as a matter of fact my father being a b-17 military pilot and back in the day i was born in 1947 so i guess i'm getting to be an old guy now but um you know, my parents, you know, knew the old school military stuff, and I had developed astigmatisms in my eyes. I was born with it, and then they told me, well, you know, pilots have to have perfect vision, and you'd have to wear glasses, and you can never be a pilot. And I believed that, and it was true back in those days. And then by the time I got up into my 20s and started skydiving and doing stuff like that, I discovered these pilots were had glasses on and were flying. I go, how do you do that? You know, they go, well, that's the FAA. You know, if you're correctable to 2020, you can actually do this. I'm like, wow, that's not what my mama said. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, so, you know, life went on. I kept skydiving and then I had a, another career and I decided I didn't like that career. And I thought, you know, I've been messing around with these light planes. I'm kind of getting a private pilot's license here. I wonder if I can make it in a career aviation so I started pursuing that and I certainly did and along the road in uh, pursuing the career and building time came towing gliders the first thing I had that I could do to actually fly for free 
<laughs> later to make a little bit of money at it. So along with that, I got some soaring time and it was fun. And uh, then along my career uh, flying, I found myself uh, flying uh, inner island. This was back in Colorado. And then I find myself flying uh, inner island stuff down in Hawaii. I had a job doing that. And in between doing that, I had a job at the glider port flying uh, tow plane and doing uh, Zenith glider rides. They made me a commercial glider pilot in 20 flights there. <laughs> so how was flying gliders in Hawaii different than flying gliders here in the lower 48? Well, lower 48 is a huge place. I mean, we've got Florida, which is flat. We've got Colorado, which I did a lot of glider flying in, which has got great mountain and wave flying. Hawaii, um, the one place where we most people fly in Hawaii fly gliders is uh, Dillingham Airfield on the north shore of Oahu, just about 40 miles on the other side of Honolulu. And there's a the trade winds come in from the northeast on that north shore and hit the hit the ridge there next to the Dillingham Airfield. Uh, and there's just a terrific little ridge lift there. And it's, it's very simple. Um, it's great. Here in Florida... Um, if you don't know how to fly thermal lift, <laughs> you're not going to make it because <laughs> that's what we got. And right. uh, Colorado, where I flew, I mean, we we did fantastic mountain flying, wave flying. And um, yeah, I found myself coming back from Hawaii um, and messing around in Colorado with different aviation jobs. I mean, I've done air ambulance, corporate, regional airlines, and, and I find myself being a I guess I was a flight instructor in Colorado Springs at that time and also doing a little glider operation down in Westcliff along the Sangro de Cristo range where we had outrageous wave and uh, had all the deals worked out with the FAA for wave windows and all that. And, you know, I got a chance to um, to get to be a wave pilot, uh, which was exciting and, and flying gliders in excess of uh, 30,000 feet, um, which I uh, uh, was blessed. Wow. To experience i mean most most guys don't get that opportunity yeah very true that is some serious altitude yeah yeah my best was uh flight level 325 right up there oh amazing yeah the view changes uh, uh quite a bit that high oh it does it does um you're looking down at the earth of course the uh, the mountaintops are 14,000 feet, and you're at 30, and then the valleys are down there at 7 or 8. But um, as you're looking down at the earth from flying the wave at over 30,000 feet, things aren't moving real fast as your, uh, as your speed changes across the face of the earth. As a matter of fact, a lot of the time you're backing up. <laughs> of course, these mountain waves, uh, as most of you glider pilots out there know, are generated by high winds coming across high mountain ranges. And um, some of your your soaring speed in the in the wave can be 80 or or 90 indicated just to stay stationary in the wave. As a matter of fact, on one experience, we have way the clouds up there, of course, are referred to as standing lenticular alto cumulus lennies. We've all heard of that, and they are standing waves. Um, they don't move, and um, so if you're in the wave, you're standing as well. But you might be backing up a little bit if you can't really see what's going on and it's hard to tell at 32,000 feet and uh, at one occasion I actually backed into the cloud backing into the Lenny was uh, all of a sudden everything goes white well (laughs) 
the only reaction is you jam the stick forward and get back into the blue and melt that ice off the wings and canopy. That's a whole nother ball game of flying when you get into wave. I, I haven't actually had the opportunity to get into any wave flying yet, but I'm looking forward to doing that. It sounds like you've had a lot of amazing flights, but is there any of those flights that really stand out that you could tell us about? Well, wave flights, and I've done a lot of instruction, and um, instructional flights have, have given me some, uh, uh, just some great insight into learning myself. I mean, let's face it, the best way to learn something is to teach it um, over and over, and it, it keeps you sharp. You know, I've enjoyed that over the years. I'm not really a full-time instructor, but uh, I pitch in and help up at my club when I can. Well, sharing aviation with others always seems very satisfying and it's just nice to share that that love of soaring and flying with someone else no it sure is you know and now i'm 71 years old i'm retired from commercial flying i I don't i still tow at our club um i don't hold any uh class two medicals anymore i've got the uh, the good old FAA basic medical. I love it. It's so simple. Um, it's great. And uh, I can still tow and um, I can actually still instruct. I do biennial flight reviews for people. They still let me do that on the basic med. And uh, it's nice. Oh, very nice. What are you flying right now as far as a glider? Oh, on our club, we've got um, we got the Grove 103 Acro um, and then the Grove 103 Astir. That's the uh, tail dragger one. We've got a couple of... Uh, Blonick L23s. We used to have a bunch of the L13s, but as most people out there in the soaring world know, the they retired all of them due to some structural problems. And anyway, so we retired the L13s. We got a couple L23s. We got uh, oh, the good old Schweitzer uh, 126, which is I flew last Sunday. That was a lot of fun. Oh, I love the 126. I actually fly that a good bit. Yeah, it seems like uh, a lot of us know the old 126, and it's a, they still work pretty well. Um, as a matter of fact, I back in the day, back in Hawaii, we had one of those uh, when I was doing the scenic glider rides in the old Schweitzer uh, 232s, the old three-place one. And, and uh, the old Schweitzer 126, I... It, that was before Schweitzer banned aerobatics in airplanes, and I learned a lot of my aerobatics self-taught in the 120. Oh, really? Yeah. How yeah. was that? Oh, it was good fun. You know, I had some basic training um, from somebody in a uh, acro uh, Grove Grove Acro 103. Some basic from from a guy, and it was pretty good. And then I just kind of took off on my own in the the 126. It really wasn't probably the Smartest thing I ever did in my life, but I uh, managed to live through it, and uh, I'm a little bit more conservative now. What kind of aerobatics did you do in the 126? Oh, loops and rolls, and then I was kind of experimenting with uh, hammerheads. I thought they were lots of fun. And uh, well, one, you asked me about a memorable occasion. Well, one memorable occasion, I kind of um, got a little bit slow in the uh, the hammerhead before I kicked the rudder in. To, curve it back down into the hammerhead and uh, wound up in a, uh, a backslide, which is uh, actually a really dumb thing to do because it uh, puts uh, r- pressures on the rudder that uh, it could be devastating. Anyway, it was uh, an interesting uh, interesting flight, <laughs> to say the least. Obviously, you brought it out because you're here with us. Oh, so. <laughs> well, the thing but I'm sure that was a... Went into free fall from there, and it just didn't really spin or anything. It just went into a, a flat free fall and finally got the nose down and pulled out. Wow. <laughs> well, I got better at those camera hands, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Live and learn if you survive your mistakes. So. Yeah, exactly. So what kind of advice would you give someone that wants to learn how to fly gliders? Well, I'd say um, tell them a little bit about what gliding is all about if they don't know a lot about it. I mean, some people want something different from every facet of aviation. Some guys want the noise and the power and the room, room, the engine and all that. And some people want to go across country and fly to some place, which you know, we can do in gliders. It takes a while to learn that. But for those of us that just want to fly for the, the sheer joy of flying and the fun of the whole thing i i say this is what gliding is about for me and i, I think it could be for you is just to fly uh, and just to soar it's simple and it's less expensive than renting aircraft and it's just a joy yeah nothing like getting into a thermal with a red-tailed hawk and enjoying just taking it all in enjoying the experience there you go and our club up at zephyr hills it's 30 miles northeast of tampa and our club up there is a nice little club we've got um eight or nine gliders that are club owned and quite a few members have high performance gliders they fly themselves so we bring people in on guest rides that we give, scenic intro rides, and um, we've been attracting quite a few members lately, and um, it's a nice little club. And then um, all the instructors are they got to be club members, and all the tow pilots have got to be club members, and nobody really makes much money at it, and uh, it's good fun. So it's more of a private club rather than a commercial operation, is that right? That's right, yeah. There's one over the hill at Seminole Lakes, which is just a great place to fly. I love Seminole Lakes, but it's commercial operation. So I know you help out with toes at your club. How do you like flying the tow plane? Oh, I like that Piper Pawnee. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, good little plane, and, uh, Keeps me on my toes. You know, I learned to fly originally. Got my private license in a in a Piper Cub up in the mountains of Colorado. So uh, I always wanted to keep my tail dragger experience up. Yeah, Pawnee's a good way to do that. So you were doing mountain flying from the very beginning. Yeah, I, I got my license um, in a Piper Cub off the. A 4,500-foot slope gravel strip at 9,000 feet above sea level in Crested Butte. And that gave me soaring and ridge lift experience because you weren't going to make it over the mountain to Aspen or, <laughs> or over the pass to Denver in that Piper if you didn't know how to work the lift. So I learned mountain flying and, and some basic soaring techniques in, in the Cub just right from the beginning. You know, that's one of the things I like about flying gliders. It's old school, traditional, seat of your pants, good old stick and rudder flying. Oh, that's it. The basic simplicity, like I was saying, and just flying for the sake of flying. You've got no engine, engine gauges to worry about, and very few cages there. I was once giving some duel in Hawaii to a guy that was a hang glider pilot, a very experienced hang glider pilot, and he started looking at the airspeed and the rate of climb and all, and a couple of gauges in there that he didn't ever see, and he was all over the sky chasing everything, so I took my gauge cover things hats and plugs and plugged up the gauges and i said just look at the horizon and fly attitude i know you can do it 
<laughs> took the gauge off. I say, there, that's 60 miles an hour, just what I told you to fly in the first place when you were chasing it all over the sky. Cover it up, fly again. There he is at 60. You know, the guy, the guy knew how to fly. He just was a little overwhelmed by a couple of gauges he'd never seen. So it just shows you how right. uh, a few, few things can mess you up, a few new things. Absolutely. Look outside and fly the airplane. <laughs> yep. I really appreciate you joining us today. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Mike? Happy to have a little General Aviation Airport down here in St. Petersburg where I can rent a little 172 and fly around. Uh, great stuff for a retired guy. I'm lucky. Well, Mike, we greatly appreciate you sitting down with us tonight and telling your story. Thanks. Thanks once again for taking your time to do this. All right. It's a pleasure being with you here tonight. And um, thank you very much. And I'll look forward to... Uh, Seeing some of your show. Mike, you are very welcome. We do greatly appreciate you and all our guests that we have on the show. Thank you as a listener for checking out this episode. And if you'd like to see some pictures Mike sent us, you can do that by going on to www.soaringthesky.com as well as all the episodes that are right there as well as the other guests that we've had on the podcast. Also, if you need any other information about soaring, gliders, and how you get into soaring, you can always go and see www.ssa.org. Lots of great information there. Lots of people there that can help you out. And maybe even check out your first glider ride in a sailplane. And if you're a glider pilot and you'd like to share your story right here on Soaring the Sky, you can email me at chuck at soaringthesky.com. Drop me a line and I'll get back to you. Until next time, we will see you right here on Soaring the Sky.